Hey friends, happy ISO Easter to you all. It is Easter Sunday as this is going out. He is risen. It is absolutely true. I just got out of bed this morning. Unfortunately, the shops were out of chocolate. So for our Easter egg hunt, uh, we spent a few hours uh, clawing around the apartment, trying to find some tiny fragments of a little thing we used to call freedom. It was uh, lovely and poignant at the same time. You know, I uh, caught up with Carla Geneve yesterday, who's a super talented songwriter from originally from Albany, but now resides in Fremantle, Western Australia. We had a chat and here it is. How are you going? I'm good. I'm pretty good, as good as can be, I think. Yeah, you working on a record right now? Yeah, we pretty much just finished it, like, just before all, you know, everything fucked itself. Are you doing that with Dan Carroll? Yeah, with Dan at um, Rada Studios, which has been so good. Um, but, yeah, it's I think we've done, like, nine, nine or ten songs now. So I might just do one little add-on, little solo song at the end, but it's pretty, it's pretty much done. I don't know if I meant to say that, but well, it wouldn't wouldn't have been that long ago that you were just writing for the sake of writing and had yet to put anything out. Whereas now you've had music that's come out and people wanting to hear more. So that in itself is a different kind of approach to writing songs because there's you know it's not like there's no one waiting for it anymore. Totally, I think you do have to navigate that, and it takes a while to navigate that thought because it's there's nothing more destructive uh, to like doing something creative or uh, doing something that you do just because you want to do it to be like to thinking about the end result and what people are going to think ultimately is is the most destructive thing I think because it just makes you second guess what you're what you're trying to do but um yeah I guess you have to find a reason to do it that's above all that I just keep I think the way I'm sort of dealing with it now is that I start the songwriting process and like a lot of people do this I think where you just you think well no one's going to hear this song anyway this one's just for me finish it and if it turns out all right then I can share it but there's I don't put pressure on myself to write a song that people are going to hear like right now I just have been taking it a bit bit more like easy I guess do you have to deliberately almost force yourself to not have that pressure? Yeah, I think for a while I did, but now, especially now that we're all in ISO and everything feels a bit like more relaxed in general and a little bit low pressure just because you can't do anything, it's a lot easier. Like I find myself writing a lot more and and not really like being that fussy or perfectionist about the end product. But Yeah, you do have to force yourself a little bit. Yeah, you do because whenever I've had an issue with anything that revolves around, you know, thoughts in my head, whether it's about making music or just anything else, when someone goes, man, just you just can't think about that stuff or you just don't let it get to you, I always find it's the worst of Yeah, life. totally. Because how, how do you just not let it get yeah. to you? It's like, oh, you're anxious? Well, why don't you just like not think about it? <laughs> it yeah. just doesn't work. That, a... The whole problem is thinking about it. You can't just not think Yeah, you need a system. I'm trying to find ways to trick myself into not thinking about what other people are going to think when I start a song. And I think that every now and then an idea will pop into your head and it will start formulating really naturally and maybe that's the time to jump on it. You know, that's when you start hitting record and just start doing stuff and it's like you're you're trying to outrun the black dog (laughs) 
know, you're trying to, yeah, you're, you're, you know, you're out there on your own with this idea, and then in the distance, there's just these shadow people chasing up with you, and they're all your insecurities and your friends and your management and all that, and, <laughs> and they're gonna hear the idea, and you're like, you just, uh, just let like, me do finish it. this chorus before before these people have surrounded yeah, me. Yeah, totally. I think that tricking yourself is a pretty valuable. Uh, thing like I find that like you said like I find myself trying to to trick myself into not thinking something or to forcibly mind over matter and stop believing something that is a little bit destructive Mm. like um I guess writer's block or something like that like I for the past six months like about six months ago when I had to start writing an album um because I was obviously freaking the fuck out. Like I've never, you know, I've already been paid to make this album. You have to do it. You have to do it in this amount of time or whatever. Um, But I was like, well, for me from now on, like (laughs) writer's block just doesn't exist. It's a, it's a figment of everyone's imagination. And it's it's very real, obviously, because it happens to everyone. But I just tell myself every time I'm like, writer's block doesn't exist and try and force myself to believe that. And it's kind of worked. Like mm. I don't think that the quality of my writing has gotten better from thinking that, but I've definitely found it easier to write. That's interesting you talk about. I mean, that's obviously your label paying you up front to yeah, write an in album. advance or, yeah. That's a whole other kettle of fish in itself, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Bring, and as soon as you bring money and all of that boring admin important stuff into it that's such a vibe kill for writing immediately because when people are responsible for help like helping fund something they can sometimes feel like they're entitled to having some input or more of an opinion on what you're coming up with i mean do you do you battle with those kinds of things um my label is a pretty great they i can't see i couldn't see them ever saying like oh you should change this part of the song or you know do you need to take this direction like they're very and it's like an independent like fantastic label in in melbourne Mm. um so i i don't think i'd ever have that issue but um i guess it's more about like which ones should be a single or which one should make the cut um and to be honest like i'd if i really wanted something on the record i'd probably be upset if they didn't but i think there is value with within songwriting and having a second opinion just because you can't trust yourself at all mm. in knowing whether a song is good it's something i've found like you yeah i don't trust myself in th- knowing what's good at all because i hate some songs that everyone seems to like and then love songs that people don't give a shit about at all so i've trying to remove myself from that equation as much as possible. Do you find that as well or do you find that you like the ones that everyone likes? Do I like my own songs that other people like? Um, I really like the fact that people like them. Yeah. I'll never get over that. Um, I think I'm most proud of the songs that I haven't put out yet because I haven't associated its value with a stream count or or uh, or a a nodding head in a crowd yeah you know it's still I mean when I'm writing a song I'm envisioning like my own weird version of Glastonbury anyway (laughs) or some make-believe human being pulling over the side of the road and hearing on the radio for the first time like I'm just creating these eureka moments in my head yeah you do need to cultivate the eureka moments I think because that's where all (laughs) 
like that unrealistic like oh this is the best song I've ever written like it's in that moment that's the thing that makes the song good yeah no totally yeah the eureka moment is like a an indicator that there is something in that song that you know is is worthwhile but you might not know what that something is. You just know that it's making you think the whole song is awesome, which sometimes like I want to show my friends a new song, but it's only got a verse and a chorus yet, you know, but I'm hearing something in there that's going to, it's going to become what it is in the same way. I guess when you're rehearsing with your band, you know, someone else in the room might just hear the sum of the three or four parts and the cacophony of that happening in the room. But you as the songwriter, you're hearing the orchestra in your head and you're hearing all the harmonies. You're, you're hearing it a, a whole nother way. Totally. And I, I think that thing that is good, the thing that you know is good can be so small as well. It could be like a combination of three words. Um, yeah. And I find, yeah, lyrics are usually what I'm thinking about the most but I definitely find that you know of all the songs I write there's even from like years ago there's always some that um a line just comes back to me I might not even remember how the rest of the song went but like one particular phrase is still I still remember it and that's generally a good sign like if I can remember something from a long time ago there must be something good about it so yeah, totally. There's, it doesn't matter how big or small it is, but you you know what it is when when you hear it or after you've after you've written it. Yeah. Do you find with maybe not so much worrying about what people think about your songs or what the industry thinks about your songs, but is there a kind of an idea of where you think you might be in a year's time, like the kind of places you're going to go, the kind of shows you're going to play? Does that inform? What kind of songs you write? Uh, I guess it has to do it a little bit just because that impacts where I'm at in my head, you know, thinking about things the way I do. Um, but I don't think directly, like I don't think I will will be playing a, a bigger show in a year or so and maybe, yeah, I try not to. I think that that could get in the way of writing a song a little bit. I'm not sure, but I think after I've written songs, the way that I we arrange them as a band or the the tempo or the vibe, like that would probably be the thing that's affected by where we'd be playing or what we'd be doing just because that's actually important. Like if we're you need a, a, a versatile set, so you need songs that are loud, songs that are quiet or like a record, you know, that you have to have different stuff on there. So... Not the song specifically, but how it sounds in the end maybe would be affected by that. Totally, yeah. I know it can be a real bummer when you get on a bit of a streak with writing a certain kind of style and then you you get to the end of a gig and you realise, oh, man, I've got a lot of slow songs. That's yep. <laughs> like, and then I'll go, I'll start writing to try and make the crowd move more and then I go through a cycle of writing for that and then start walking off stage thinking, man, I want to write more like introverted, <laughs> more thoughtful, you know, music. Yeah, yeah, totally. I find that if I go and watch like a really fun, like heavy gig or um, start listening to, you know, something like way more upbeat or, you know, punky, then I'll be like, oh, what am I doing? I, I should be writing punk music. Like, and then, you know, the next week I'll go to 
a really quiet, subdued country songwriter gig and I'd be like, fuck punk. You know, it's just inspired. It's just what it what I am into at the time, which is pretty fickle. So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I have the same problem. But what what do you think stops you from just being seven different artists at once then? To be honest, just my, like, skill level. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, like, yeah, just my skill level. Like, I don't – it's hard to – like, each different genre of songwriting is very – different kettle of fish musically lyrically is kind of the same because you can put any lyrics to any music if you want to but if for example I've been listening to a lot of like uh, a band called Pup from Canada so they're kind of like pretty Mm -hmm. hard post-punky stuff and I was like sick I should do something like this and then trying to get started I was like I don't even know where where to start like it's just going to sound like me in the end because that's what I know how to do so I'd have to make a pretty concerted effort to to learn about what makes those songs good. Yeah. So there's like a Carla Geneve filter that <laughs> yeah, everything goes through. Totally. That's a really important thing that I think resonates with people more so than say if you were more about doing really bang on impressions of different kinds of artists, you know, like um, the fact that it always comes out sounding like you is probably going to make it connect more anyway. Like I was, I read this little coffee table book once called how to steal like an artist. And there was just little notes on how to like comfort yourself when you feel like, um, you know, you're trying to be creative, but you suck at it. Yeah. Um, then there was a little piece on, um, unity in your work and it just said, don't worry about or everything you do looking or sounding completely different and having no like unity the fact that it's you doing it is going to make it it's going to tie it all together Um, but I've had similar experiences where I've created entire new bands thinking it was going to be such a different thing and had people tell me I just sounds like the new thing you're doing it doesn't really sound like it needs another name totally but at the same time I'll show someone demos for like a new record I think I'm writing and they'll say okay I'm hearing like three different records here like what are you doing so it's, I mean, and then, you know, in in my head, making something sound completely eclectic and weird and it's sounding like three or four different artists seems exciting at first until it starts to like ring the alarms when other people hear it. You know, it's, it's, it's weird. I think that we live in kind of an ADD generation anyway and the way people playlist their music and I don't know if you've ever seen like a 20-year-old grab an iPod at a party, you know, I don't think there is a demand for for track one to sound all that connected to track ten like it used to. As a as a twenty twenty one year old, I, I agree with that. <laughs> I find myself pleasantly surprised by people I talk to that will say, oh, "Have you heard this new record?" and and I'll say yes, even though I've only heard a couple of tracks. And then through the conversation, I'll realise they've actually just been playing the whole thing, you know, in their car, in their house. You know, I think people. Some people must still listen to entire records. I think like this, the world of streaming has kind of started to gear back towards that. Yeah. I know Steve Jobs, before he passed away, he was trying to work on a new phase of iTunes or something that had to do with high-definition artwork and complete albums being presented. Sick. as you know, Because he was all about making it. He was a big vinyl fan. It was all about making <laughs> the irony. The, music streaming <laughs> the irony in that yeah. is hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah, no, totally. I mean, and vinyls come back for a reason. People, if people didn't give a shit about yeah. albums, they wouldn't be buying vinyl in like bulk. 
you know. Yeah, if you're putting on a record, you're going to listen to the whole thing because it's too, unless you've got two decks, it's too hard to switch between artists. But then you want, I mean, how many people are buying records to listen to them versus buying them as like a, like a cool decorative sort of. It's true. I know. mean, it's impossible to say, isn't it? I guess, yeah, I guess my view is kind of skewed as well because we're, like teaching kids are the ones that I'm like, oh, well, what do you listen to? What are you into? And a lot of the time, you know, like a 13-year-old would be like, I don't know who I listen to. I just put on a playlist and listen to it. Like they don't actually know any names of artists <laughs> that they're listening to unless they're super into music. Like a lot of people just put on a playlist, which I find pretty sad, like a con- like building a connection to an artist as a person is like a pretty big part of why I love songwriting so much because you can see who they are and why they're saying what they're saying. So I find that sad but it's probably kids to a large extent. Like I don't know a lot of adults that wouldn't know who they, they listen to. I think if those kids wanted to become artists, they would probably become more voyeuristic about the artists they listen to, you know, because you're you're intrigued so much by the people behind the song. You're like, I want to do that. Yeah, yeah. No, there's kids that would know everything about a lot of artists and there are a lot. But, yeah, I don't know. It's hard hard to know what goes on in people's heads. I remember teaching guitar at at a school once and there was a kid came in and I was like, wow, is there any songs you want to learn? And he goes, yeah, have you heard of, um, have you heard of U2? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard of U2. He's like, yeah, I was like, I, I want to play one of their songs. I've got on my phone. And I'm like, oh, cool. And I, you know, got, I got Google out and I was thinking, so what, what is it? It's like Beautiful Day or something. He's like, nah, it's called, you know, and he mentioned some song I'd never heard of. I mean, I'm not like the biggest U2 fan, but I know the, you know, the big ones. And, and I looked it up and it was on that, that record that they put on everyone's iPhones for free. (laughs) And I was like, oh, did you just get this on your phone? He's like, yeah, it was just there. And um, yeah, I really like it. And And I thought, wow, this is like, I'd only heard the negative reaction. (laughs) The one person that that actually liked the song on that record. Um, You you wonder how many people actually did enjoy having that record. And I thought, man, this is, this is cool. It's like a, that band figured out, I mean, this is a 15-year-old kid just discovering U2 as if it was his own discovery because it's just on his phone. It didn't have to be handed down to him, you know, by a previous generation of music fans. It's pretty yeah, interesting. Yeah, I've got a funny you know. story about that record. So I was travelling in Europe when that, like after, a bit of, like a year or so after that record came out and um, I didn't have a phone like SIM card yet. So, and I was like walking, I was in Stockholm and I was walking around Stockholm and the only thing I had to listen to because I was alone was that fucking U2 album. (laughs) Like I probably listened to it like 30 times because it was literally the only music I had. And um, it was like I hate the album. I, I, there's not really much about it that I like. You know, it's what it is. But um, every time I hear it, it just like fully takes me back to being forced to listen to it on repeat. It's kind of nice, but yeah. but yeah, it's, it's funny. I think I would stick up for uh, every breaking wave and song for someone. Yeah, there's there's some to. good stuff on. I mean, if it was real bad, I would have just turned it off. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I went to their show. Um, they played Optus Stadium and um, Bono's voice, man. I mean, I've never, I don't know how old he is now, but he's not young and he still sounds exactly like he always sounded and he hit every note. And the best part about that was I've never read about Bono doing like a yoga retreat 
or, you know, some weird diet. As far as I know, he pretty much just smokes and drinks like a fish and then sings like that. He seems in, indestructible. So I, that, that kind of won me over. It's impressive. <laughs> I think it's the must be the Irish thing. Some people just are born with a like a really rock solid voice box, I guess. Like some people just are way less impacted than they should be. I don't know. It'd be a whole bunch of factors, but. No, I totally agree. Like I say I hate the record, but a band like U2 doesn't become a band like U2 if there's not something really, really, really good about them. Um, I haven't listened to much, so I'm talking out of my ass a bit, but no, you just don't get to be a band like that if you're not fucking good, you know. But isn't that weird when the whole world like loves a band and you just can't see what they love about it? Yeah, yeah. I generally take a very extreme position on everything as well. So I either love, love something or I hate it and um, I'll usually, if I hate something, end up loving it in the end anyway. So I kind of just take my own opinions with a bit of a pinch of salt um, if I hate something yeah. and everyone else loves it, I'm like, well, you know what, they're probably right, but it doesn't mean that I'm not going to be stubborn and still hate it until I love it, you know. <laughs> but Yeah, yeah you do. I, I, I will put the work in to try and see what people are seeing about that act. You know, there was there's two I've tried the hardest with, which was The Smiths and Pearl Jam. Yeah. Um, the Smiths because all my favourite bands would cite them as their favourite band. And it wasn't until I got this NME collection of articles about The Smiths from the time and I just, just dived into it and having like some context about it that helped romanticise about the band at the time, that did it for me. Because documentaries usually get me into an artist really well, totally. you know. But I I tried equally hard with Pearl Jam. I went and saw them live a couple of times, and yeah, I, just, I can't I can't listen to that band. Totally, I think you're right about documentaries. Like, um, I don't think I could watch a documentary about an artist and come out of it not liking them because it it just gives context to everything. And well, I mean, yeah. like a band like um, Big Star, who you know they're like cult heroes for sort of pioneering a kind of power pop that bands in the 90s, you know, uh, really took on board almost 20 years after Big Star were even a, a band. And they kind of, you know, uh, they were dead in the water after the first record had barely even hit the shelves. But I th- but you just often wonder how much does the story of them, that band, you know, failing so hard in the beginning and then becoming like cult heroes later, how much does that add to your romanticism about their music? Romance is so important for art, though. I mean, it's 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 for romantics. It's for the romantic side in everyone, yeah. and you have to be a bit of a romantic to create it. And like, I think that's the hardest thing with once you become an artist, or you know, the further along you get. Like with music, when you used to go and when you used to listen to records and you used to go to a concert when you're a kid, the you just remember being well smaller than them for one, <laughs> yeah. and looking up this massive stage and the lights and everything and it sounded incredible because you, you didn't know what a, a good live mix was. You just knew you could you just knew you could hear what was going <laughs> yeah. on. And then the band walks out and they're like gods and it's it's such a visceral experience. And then, you know, fifteen years later and you're at a gig and, and you you're thinking, Oh yeah, they got those K and M mic stands, that's interesting. Oh, it's cool, they got the amp the amp rack is in that little road case over to the side there. I see what they've done there. Oh yeah, that guy must be checking the um, the patch leads mm-hmm. on that. And it, you know, the smoke and mirrors is like not really there anymore. 
Totally. It's like a whole new appreciation. Yeah, it's, it is. It's, yeah, and you're not standing out the front anymore and you're not waiting for the band to come or you're standing side of stage and you've been talking to them for like two hours and you've just been like, you're like, well, I I guess I'll have a beer or something, like wait for the show. It's just the whole romanticism is is gone because you can see behind the curtains and there's no mystery to it anymore. You know exactly what gear they're using. You know exactly how they're like, you know, if you do. But, you know, it's there's no – it's just all so practical and work orientated that it is hard to get that like overwhelming like awe experience. Not to say you can't still have it, but um, it's harder to to find. I think, yeah. It's it's much harder to find, and of course, now you no longer let your goosebumps do the talking. You're you're processing everything with your brain, yeah. which now has a lot of musical knowledge Sucks. that it didn't <laughs> have before, and now you've got to try and make music that is inspiring for people that do listen with from a place of pure feeling that do let their goosebumps lead the way that aren't analyzing the chords and the melody like you do naturally now totally i think that's a really heartening thing to remember like if we go back to songwriting because when we listen to music it's like it's yeah your brain's in overdrive trying to to make sense of it all but um, and you're way more analytical and critical of yourself. But when someone that just loves music listens to music, they don't care. They don't care about that at all. Like they're probably only listening to the words and the riff and, and the chorus, but like they feel it just as much as you, as you or I would. And that's nice to remember if you're like, oh, this part's not right or the snare sounds, you know, a little bit off or something like that. It doesn't matter. It's about like the performance. It's just about the, the, what you put into it in the end. Yeah, exactly. And there are things that you'll be more forgiving of that uh, a casual listener won't be. You know, if you hear a, a, like a shrieky nasally vocal sing the first two lines, you, you you will give it a bit more time because you're used to giving music a bit of time and just to see where it's coming from. Yeah. Whereas your average person is just going to go Naza and just <laughs> so turn it off. Yeah. <laughs> what the and heck? I find there's, you know, there's, you kind of, do you have like a brains trust, like a group of friends that you'll send your songs to and get their opinions on as you're nearing the, the, like the finish line um, with them? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, pretty much my band, uh, awesome for that and you you build so much trust with the people that you play with over the like the couple of years that you you play with them and they've heard everything you've done and they've heard all the good stuff and all the bad stuff so they they know you so intimately musically so I trust them a lot Dan who made our record and all of our records actually I trust yeah trust with everything um my dad I always send a song to my dad if I'm not sure about it because he's brutally honest but that's the best thing you can be. But, sure. But, yeah, most of the time I kind of just like don't want to bore people. You, you have to have a small <laughs> group. <laughs> Where do you hope to take this record once it's ready and, and the world is, you know, able to go back out to gigs? I don't know, everywhere. <laughs> everywhere we could go. We were, yeah, we were going to do a, um, it wasn't announced yet, but we were going to head to Europe for a month and do a tour and we were going to go to South by Southwest so I would love to start going overseas as much as possible just because I want to go on a holiday really <laughs> with my friends and play music sure. at the same time. But I don't know. Was the Europe tour, was that a lot of capital cities or regional stuff um, as well? It was a lot of capitals. It was a support tour. I won't 
say who either, but yeah, it was a support, so it was gonna be it was gonna be so fun. But um I'm sure that, you know, it'll happen again. But it's kind of nice now we can just really focus on getting the record as good as we can get it. There's no rush. We're not like on and off planes trying to do it in the, in the time between. So I'm taking it as a a little like a, a sign to help us do a better job of it, which I guess you have to. <laughs> yeah. Um, would that have been your second time in the States going back to for South by Southwest? Yes. Yep. Because you went over there supporting San Francisco, yeah, a yeah. while ago. Didn't I was you? just solo, which, but it, yeah, that was that was awesome, so fun. But well, how was that experience? It's pretty, it's pretty um, bougie for for a tour um, that I was on. Like they had the full tour bus, which was wow. so rock and roll. So you drove for a lot of it. Yeah, it was all driving. So we only, f- yeah, we didn't fly anywhere. So you just. It was like the ultimate rock dream pretty much. I'm still so grateful they took me along. But, yeah, it was sick. I felt so spoiled. What I came to, I appreciated this before about San Francisco, but after watching them do that tour, I just realised how long they'd been doing it. Like San Francisco, a band that I liked when I was like, like 12 or 13, and I kind of realised how long ago that was and they've just been hitting the road so hard, making records. Like they just really work and that's why they can still go to the US and do a tour like that because they've just they've just worked for so long and mm. I really uh, respect that. And it was good to see that you can get somewhere in music if you really put your back into it. Yeah, it was nice. But- and you belong to a similar kind of management situation as they do, don't you? Yeah, so I'm managed by Harris Waters who his company's called Holiday Forever and he also works with Phil Stevens who manages them. So, yeah, it's a nice little little group. It's a bit of a freeo yeah. group but it's, it's lovely. They're the best ever. So, yeah. So is there a similar, um, a similar model or a similar approach to, to building on what you do that would have come from those – other acts that um, particularly, you know, Phil would have, you know, worked with for so long, like with John Butler and the Waifs and San Francisco and now Stella as well. Is there kind of a how – do, how does that work? Do they do they have a, like an, a, va- a vague idea on what all artists should kind of do and then it gets a bit more specific based on the artists or – Well, it's interesting because like John Butler and the Waifs obviously – it was a long time ago and I think it's a very different industry now than it, it used to be. Um, so any sort of like when they were at my level, like very just starting out really, it would have just been like I know the Waifs just got in a van and toured Australia for I don't know how many years. They just like were road dogs basically and probably John was the same. I don't know as, as much about John but um, like I, yeah, that's something I grew up just being like, whoa, that would be sick, just playing as, as many shows as, as you can and just like slogging basically. But um, I think now something that my management is looking to a bit more is the way Stella's done every all the amazing things that she's done, which, again, is a bit of a road slog like she is too. It's so hard and that's something I like respect and am in awe of about her. But, yeah, I don't know. I think there'd be similarities. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. But, yeah, being on the road is something that I really want to do more of. I think it's where you, where you get good at what you do. Yeah, everyone's always kind of looking to what everyone else is doing to figure out how they can do it just that little bit better. It's so interesting to me seeing 
maybe in the last handful of years, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's a lot more Australian bands making waves overseas and building an audience here as well without relying on a lot of the kind of exposure bands used to get. I mean, 10 years ago, even five years ago, if you weren't on Triple J, you sort of had no hope. And it's quite interesting now. There are a lot of, I think there are more international labels setting up shop in Australia. Um, It seems there are a lot of bands that kind of like build their own audience uh, away from the usual channels and then start touring overseas a lot earlier than, than bands used to do. Yeah, well, that possibly is a product of social media and, like, streaming. People can, you know, they don't have to buy your record. It just comes up in their playlist or in, in their, their like, recommended Spotify stuff and if they like it, they can listen to it as much as they want and they'll, they'll go to the show if you, if you go there. Um, so I reckon that could have a bit to do with people being able to, to live without things like, like Triple J. Um, and the same applies in Australia but... Yeah, it's nice. You can sort of go it alone a bit a bit more now. Artists are a bit more empowered to do that. I guess that side of things is going to have to go into overdrive now that everyone's just at home streaming everything. Totally, totally. Unfortunately, I, I do miss, uh, I miss sound quality most of all, I think, <laughs> with all these live streams just because I know that what people are doing in their rooms and stuff would just, is so incredible but I'm like ah my fucking iPhone <laughs> like it just it's just never going to be the same so I hope we can all sort of work towards that getting that sorted in the in the coming months that'd be really nice soon everyone's going to be an expert in you know what adapters and interfaces to use uh I've even noticed that um like when I'm on Facebook or something, I'll get a lot of ads for music production things that are similar to stuff I've bought or stuff I've been Googling. And I'm getting a lot of recommended um, ads for uh, uh, more podcast-centric um, home production <laughs> bits and bobs, like those those microphone stands that clamp onto the table, the broadcast arms and, um, and little portable podcast mixes. It's like now that whole industry is now gearing towards a market of people who are stuck at home. Yeah. Well, they know what you're doing. They can, they can hear you. <laughs> They're watching. Um, yeah, totally. And it is kind of nice. It's, it's, it definitely puts it back to a grassroots um, level, level playing field, which is, which is really nice. I think, you know, even you doing this podcast, I mean, I, you wouldn't, would, were you considering doing a podcast before or was this a really a, a result of no, the whole COVID thing? No, this came about in a moment of panic because we, I'd put our song called Your House and we were about to do four or five shows to promote it and we got two gigs in and then the whole live music industry got shut down. Um, and we were going to go down south and, and play Albany and, and Margs and, and, uh, and Dunsborough. And then everything got cancelled, you know, in the space of 24 hours, it went from, okay, well, it, it might be going ahead to just all the venues shutting down. Um, and I suggested to the guys, why don't we just get in a room, um, and we'll get, get some friends in the audio production world and we'll just try and do a live stream of the band because we'd been mucking around with um, using in-ear monitors for these shows as well. We'd done some like pretty heavy rehearsals using in-ear monitors uh. and everything being mic'd up and we got two shows into that. So at least then we had the infrastructure to maybe like just record a jam session and and we were looking into live streaming that. 
And then by the time the weekend came around, the idea of getting into a room with more than two people was being seriously frowned upon and now is, you know, basically illegal. Yeah. So it was it went from being a band live streaming to being like me and a couple friends doing a podcast to just now me, you know, talking into a microphone in my apartment mm. and just out of like a need to do something, you know. Um, yeah. I figure I have, you know, I have a PhD in watching YouTube at this point so I kind of have an idea of how these sort of things kind, kind of work. But, this, yeah, this is all just out of a, a need to do something and, and a need to like speak to other people. Yeah, I mean, I've listened to the other two you've done and it's been so nice. I'm like, wow, it just feels like I'm listening to people at the pub talking about stuff that I I really miss doing that. I find podcasts so nice because it's not like TV or like a – an interview or a YouTube video. It's not like this targeted like bang, 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 all the things you need to know. We're trying to make you think something. It's it's so much more like personable and – it's not just like it's not like everything else which is so forced and so quick and so snappy it's 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 much more relaxing for me um and i like that about about podcasts and and now with this like so many more of those things are going to sprout up so it's a little silver lining i guess yeah yeah it's got that is there anybody out there kind of element to it now yeah, that to- it didn't have before totally you know? totally are you isolated in like what are you in a share house? Are you with your family? Um, I am in a share house in Frio at the moment, which is, is kinda nice because I'm still hanging out with people. Thank Christ. But yeah. Yeah, we're just all pottering around the house and doing crafts and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sounds lovely. Yeah, this this whole scenario is really gonna test the limits of people's living situations. You know, because you you're used to like oh, all I need is this amount of space with this amount of ability to do various things that I need to do at home. But then you're always comparing that to the rest of your life spent leaving the house and going off to do other things, you know. Totally. I think it's really made me examine uh, myself in a lot of ways Um, just because I generally am pretty introverted and spend a lot of my time at home anyway. Like for the first couple of weeks, isolation was no different for me actually <laughs> just because I'm always in the house and you know like apart from working obviously um but it's definitely made me think I'm less of an introvert than I previously did because I do find myself being like oh my god I miss going to work or I miss just being around people and that's kind of been great it's made me really understand how important people in my life actually are to me so that's been kind of good yeah it's it's interesting because I think I was moving towards a place of not being so obsessed with playing live music like I used to be and being more excited about the studio and creating new music and now having it get just completely taken away from me <laughs> as we all have it's now I'm, I, th- I think when I'm when we're allowed to play gigs again it's I mean it's it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty crazy seeing how people react to being allowed back out again. Is I mean, is this town just going to turn into one massive party or will people be a bit traumatised and, and, you know, how, 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 how soon will you give someone a hug or shake their hand? That's the big question, hey, because it's, I feel at the end of this it's not going to be like, well, everything's fine. It's going to be like, well, I can go out but 
I might still catch COVID-19. It's not, you know, I'm not going to be in a mosh pit anytime for the next, until there's a vaccine basically. It's, it's going to be a very different for a long time, I think, which is quite sad. But it's not going to be this magic moment where it's like, woo, we're all back to normal again. It's funny how like a few months ago everyone just called it coronavirus and it and there was humour in that. You could kind of laugh <laughs> it off and, and that would feed into the mentality of it will never affect me because coronavirus counts, sounds kind of stupid, you know. It sounds like the beer, you know. Yeah. And, um, and now everyone just calls it COVID-19. So suddenly we're all locked into this resident evil scenario where it's got like a code name, like it a does. barcode that we, we're all reading off. It does. It's yeah. a much more serious name. Yeah, I remember posting an Instagram story. I think I said like, why they give this virus such a chill name? <laughs> I just thought it was like <laughs> funny, you know, but yeah, the, the name shift is interesting that people have, well, people have changed the way they look at it, I guess, so it makes sense that there'd be a, a verbal sign of that. Yeah, I think a lot of people are coming to terms with something so big happening in their lifetime like I can't believe I'm experiencing this yeah absolutely do you find are your lyrics getting a bit more isocentric or are you you avoiding that or embracing it (laughs) to be honest the past couple of months they've been pretty isocentric anyway (laughs) before it was before it was a thing but yeah I think they've gotten a bit darker in the past couple of weeks in a lot of ways um just like who's not feeling dark at the moment um, and a bit more f- philosophical perhaps, a bit less a bit less personal, which I think mm. is a really good thing for me. Like a, it's hard to live in your, in your own little world right now when everything you see is about everyone and everything else happening. So, so when's your record coming out? I don't know. <laughs> That's a bit of a big <laughs> question. As soon as possible. I just want to get it out. I'm writing new songs now, so I want to get this one out so we can start doing the next one. But probably like at the end of the year, I think we'll put songs out throughout this year and then Sure. Yeah. yeah. I know you um that song we started writing together a few weeks ago, you were thinking about changing the lyrics. So do you think there'll maybe be a more COVID friendly <laughs> direction? I feel like in songwriting, I mean the foot I feel like as as escapism, it's the thing I want to write about least at the moment, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and it, it does feel like there's not much else to write about, but I think a little bit of a fantasy, a little bit of, you know, like fun is only going to do good right now. So maybe we can make it a poke a bit more fun at that or keep it, keep it separate. I don't know. We should do a bit more of that though. That, that'd be fun. We should. I definitely think now's a good time to smash out some absolute bangers, you know, you know, we don't have to depress the world any more than it's already currently being. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And there's been a lot of like funny isolation, not funny, but like a lot of isolation songs that are really directly about it, which I think has been good. Like I know Bad Dreams did a quick like fun one and people need that. People like this is a time when music is actually really genuinely helpful Mm. to people. And I think like I didn't expect with all these live streams and people still doing live music, I didn't expect the demand for live music to be as strong as it has been. I was like, oh, now everything's gone to shit. People are just going to want to survive. But people like need it more than ever. And I'm that's so cool that it's still there. And people are just like, when's the stream? Like, I want to tune in. Like, it's so beautiful to know that people love live music that deeply i think people have wanted us to bring what we do to them uh for quite a long time i mean live music has been battling against you know netflix 
in general for so many years now. Um, I played a gig in New York uh, years ago at, at the Sidewalk Cafe, which is like a you know a renowned you know like one of those oh, Bob Dylan played here when he was starting out kind yeah. of places and 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 I was talking to the the woman who ran the place and I was like how does it how's it going here these days she's like ah, you know everyone would just prefer to stay in and watch Netflix now nobody wants to come out and see live music like even then you know that was a, a few years ago like that's what you're fighting with now you're not you're mm-hmm. not really you would you weren't competing with the other gig that was on you're competing with all the cool shit people can watch at home Yeah, and that's part of this whole new thing that scares me a little bit because live music is kind of the only way we have left to make money and now that has swapped to a more like sounds a bit capitalistic or whatever but, you know, now everyone's doing what they did in a time when we need money the most just for free and making it real easy for people to get it for free which is really beautiful and meaningful in itself but it's also like what the fuck are we going to do? In this time, I wonder if streaming is just gonna completely cook it because everyone's locked inside, and so they're, they're being f- maybe forced to overdose on the, that format. So maybe one outcome of that is, yeah, when this is all over, the last thing people will want to do is stay in and watch something. I think so. I think the genuine need for people to go out, be around people, and experience a live show is never going to go away and it might be less and it might be less convenient as we go along and other options come up. But no, I I don't see a time when people aren't going to keep going out. I just, I I mean, I don't want to live in a world where where it's like that, you know, Um, but hopefully there'll be a renewed interest in, in live, live music after this. I think that'd be awesome. No. All right. Well, I think that's a as good a time as any to cool. to leave that. Yeah. No. That that was cool. great. Thanks for hanging out. Ah, it's good. All right. Thanks for interviewing me or interviewing, talking to me as well. <laughs> this was a professional. So professional. <laughs> I don't wanna work today. All right. There you have it. Cheers, everybody. Thanks again, Carla. For hanging out. If you're listening to this on SoundCloud, by the way, we're now on the Apple Podcasts app. So please feel free to go in there and hit subscribe. Leave a nice review if you're feeling friendly. Um, Until next week, see you later.